are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guests on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week are Nadash Musungu, Inclusion Lead at Kantar, and Abhijit Roy, Senior Growth Leader, Employee Experience and Customer Experience at Kantar. Good morning, Nadash. Good morning, Abhi. Thank you for being guests on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me as well. So let's get started with the questions. Nadalash, to start with, tell us a bit about your journey so far. So I started my career in markets research, and this was purely accidental. I was in my master's and I was looking to make some money to support me because I was cut off from the bank of mum and dad. And yeah, I fell into market research and I enjoyed it. And it, things kind of evolved and picked up from there. It was a very interesting space. I worked in various consultancies and I worked for various companies in-house. And I was typically the only a Black woman, which was to be expected in a way. Not saying that I was kind of thinking about it. I, it did have an impact on me, but I numbed myself to the experience. So I just knew that when I go into an organization, it will only be me within the team or within the entire organization. And it kind of reminded me of my just general experience in schools of being the only person, but kind of thinking it to be normal and thinking that that would be the typical experience for, for any ethnic minority. And when I was thinking about my journey and thinking about how that had an impact on me developing, I kind of had to mimic and shadow other people, try to fit in. I didn't want to stick out too much, even though I love so much about me and my personality, my uniqueness and my culture, because I felt like I didn't fit in. I found myself a lot trying to kind of null myself out or blend in the background. And that kind of dulled a lot of my magic and a lot of my interests or the, the things that I feel like would have been a valuable asset to an organization or within a school. And it was only until after I graduated from my master's when I decided to make the conscious effort to liberate myself from those shackles. And I don't actually know how I did that or what I did. But I just thought, you know what, I am me and I'm going to be confident in it. And I took bigger risk in doing that. And I just felt that my confidence grew. I was more vocal in meetings. I was a little bit more aggressive with my career in terms of the direction that I wanted it to go and, and the kind of progress that I wanted to see. And it all came from me kind of owning who I was and accepting my difference instead of fitting into the background. That's such an interesting story and something that would resonate with a lot of people, I'm sure, because most of the time, I think this is what people from minority communities do is they try to fit in and not raise their head above the parapet and become too visible because it's yeah. uncomfortable. So kudos to you for taking the decision at some point to actually take charge and be yourself. I hope it inspires other people. And of course, for yourself, you're able to lead a life and have a career which is where you have more of a say on what you do or don't do 
or how you present yourself or how you turn up every single day. Wonderful. Congratulations on that, Nadash. So moving from there, you were in your last role, the Chair of Inclusion and Diversity and also the DEI lead at Bowdoin. And now you are the Inclusion Lead at Kantar. What have been your biggest learnings so far on trying to make an organization more inclusive and equitable? Yeah, I think the biggest learning for me is how challenging it is for an organization to step out of fear or their status quo and step into action. On the outside, employees, consumers, the audience may think, you know, why can't this organization just go about and be diverse or just do an inspiring DEI initiative. And my experience has shown me that there are so many complex blocks working behind the scenes and it involves senior stakeholders, allies, DEI change agents, some data, budget. It involves all these very complex factors to come together and to align. And then that's where you get to that point of action. And at Cantar, having understand that this is actually a very complex process in the back end to get to the action point. And at Cantar, I've been really inspired in making that process easier for clients by harnessing the power of data, by using data to their advantage. Because I know from my experience when I was the client, how difficult it is to get that budget, to get all these different components to come together. And sometimes data having that as your best friend can help you push things forward. So I feel like that is probably the biggest challenge. And for people who kind of watch on the outside, they think that this happens at the drop of a hat. But in practice, it's far more complicated than that. Wow. Yeah, that is true. We have a very simplistic view of how change happens. And especially in organizations which are used to working in a certain way, it's very, very complex, but definitely doable. So. The Cantor Inclusion Index, we just launched it a couple of days ago and we had a conversation about it at the PRCA EIAC conference. But what was the purpose of having an inclusion index from Cantor's point of view? So the Inclusion Index was designed to help organizations understand, measure and track their inclusion performance. And By being able to track it and understand how inclusive you are, they were able to see how they are moving on their DNI journey. So see exactly where they are and then kind of create an action plan or a strategy that helps them to move along. And by benchmarking their inclusion performance, it gives them a real sense of what good looks like. So sometimes when you're so focused on your own business, you might feel like, yes, we're really inclusive. But when you're benchmarking against your industry and also against your market, you might start learning and seeing that we're not that inclusive and we've got ways to go. So that was the whole purpose of it. And it was to really bring about a system of measuring inclusion because diversity, it's quite easy to measure. And a lot of organizations have come up with a system that allows them to track and measure how diverse they are, although it can still be difficult to kind of collect that data. But inclusion is slightly more complex and it's something that organizations are not measuring in a standardized way. And we wanted to come in and come up with a formula that allows organizations to measure their inclusion performance and really understand the inclusion experience for employees. And for us, if you start with inclusion, then that will impact your diversity numbers. Because if you are inclusive, truly inclusive, 
and your company is great for its sense of belonging and there isn't that much discrimination or negative behavior, it will have a positive impact on your diversity numbers. Wow. So I think it's an opportunity for businesses to actually stop making excuses and use the data that can be collated and see either whether this is the starting point or whether they've made any progress. It's very interesting. So DEI-EDI, how did you define what would be included in the design of the research, considering that there's so much to cover? You know, what would you leave or what would you not include? Yeah, you mentioned a valid point. DNI is a massive topic and includes so many different components and it's forever evolving. So sometimes when you've got it or you understand it in one area, then that quickly changes. And what we wanted to is kind of drill into this inclusion piece because, again, we felt like there is not enough attention in understanding the inclusion experience of employees. And we wanted to do that in a standardized way that can be made easy to track and measure and do on a yearly basis. So we kind of came up with a formula where we looked at the company's sense of belonging, the absence of discrimination and the presence of negative behavior. And we broke the index in these three key areas, focusing on looking at how employees feel when it comes to their sense of belonging, and then looking at where there is that discrimination and then the presence of negative behavior. And all of this focuses on the employee experiences, which was really important to us. The fact that we can actually have such a survey that opens up and focuses on employee experience means that we can look at it across many of the protected characteristics. So it's not just tailored to disability or tailored to ethnicity, it's got the range to kind of embody all these other protected characteristics. So that was really the main thinking behind what we would include in the survey. And what were the key insights uncovered in the latest inclusion index? So I mentioned this at the event and it was quite shocking. Is that really DEI progress has stalled? So we ran the inclusion index in 2018 and measured what was going on in 2022 to kind of see whether we're growing, whether we're moving forward. And we heard all the pledges and we heard business make promises. And after George Floyd's tragedy, that kind of ramped up a lot of the DEI conversation. So we wanted to measure and see what is the state of DEI. And unfortunately, our data shows that the progress has stalled and that, in fact, some of the big markets that we have within our benchmark have actually dropped in inclusion score. And there's also other markets that have grown as well and that have really ramped up their inclusion efforts and they're more inclusive. But yes, we kind of see these big discrepancies within market and within industries. But when we speak about that, it can be kind of disheartening and shocking as well. But what we learned is that the fact is the expectations have actually increased. So in 2018, where it may have been okay or good enough to just talk about DEI initiatives or training sessions or cultural days or awareness on the topic, in 2022, employees want to see more. They actually want to see organizations step into systemic change, step into action. So it's not that Nobody cares about the ENI, and that's why the stalling is actually that the bar has been risen, and now organizations need to focus more on being action and to drive their DEI agenda forward. Thank you for explaining that because, you know, it was quite shocking and staggering to hear 
that every other person is speaking about DEI or EDI and every organization is talking about it. And, you know, to hear that actually progress may have stalled, but it's good to have this insight that, you know, progress may have stalled because we have employees who are more aware about their rights, about what they want to do, how they want to experience the workplace, and also about what the expectation is generally from civil society, employees and everyone and all stakeholders. Yeah, the conversation is still going. And the reality is, when we look at our data, we're still dealing with those hard truths. So for instance, with disability, one in two who identify as disabled feel that opportunities to progress have been restricted by senior colleagues. And even for gender, almost half of the women in our study report people taking sole credit for shared efforts. So we're still seeing that minority groups experience poor and lived experiences in the workplace. But it's now this focus on that systemic change. How do we still tackle these issues and decrease these numbers by focusing on systemic change? I mean, this is very, very interesting. I read about the global engagement gap. Uh, Nadash, you could probably start and then we can call Abhi in to supplement the response. Yeah, so the global engagement gap kind of teases on the systemic change that I spoke about. And what we're seeing is this gap between diversity and then the inclusion. So yes, there may be diversity within an organization and organizations are attracting more talent, but then there is this gap in terms of making sure that they are inclusive. And that also helps them to retain talent actually and to develop them. So that is something that we were seeing and employees actually flagged that they recognize that their organization is being diverse and inclusive. I think 71% of employees said that they believe that their organization is active taking steps to be more diverse and inclusive and about 46% said that they personally benefited from DEI in their organization but then the engagement gap is that they still believe that their company could do more to be diverse and inclusive and some employees actually flagged and said that they would like to see more diversity in C-suite positions. They would like to see closer monitoring of inclusion and diversity linked to their performance. So this is where the engagement gap is coming in. So we know employees can see that their organization is doing stuff around DNI, but actually, how is it being executed and is it engaging with all the protected characteristics? Yeah. Abhi, would you like to add? Yes. Yeah, so just to kind of back up what Nadash is saying, this is very akin to what we see in consumer behavior. You know, the difference between what people think and how people act or what people do. So it's a very simplex situation where companies are thinking of certain actions or certain programs, but when it actually comes to doing it, it's quite different because it's all about behavior thereafter. So Natasha was pointing out, once you recruit that kind of diverse talent coming in, into the organization, how do you treat them? How do people behave with them? What do they feel as part of the organizational culture? So is there any work being done there? And from what we're seeing here is there might be a gap at that place in terms of people feel that they belong to that organization, which is why the actual aspect of belonging is not really playing out that well, despite them being attracted to that company upfront. That's very interesting. Which industries or sectors are performing the best? Are there certain industries that are doing better than others, Nadash? 
Yeah, in our inclusion index, our benchmark study reveals that the professional services are leading the score when it comes to inclusive industries. Our global average for the inclusion index is at 55% and the professional services is about at 64%. So they are over-indexing. And then you also have the charity, non-for-profit, following right behind and professional services. Some of the industries where there is lots of growth that is needed is the entertainment industry, security and defence industry as well, where we can see that there needs to be a little bit more growth. And in the PR and marketing industry, we rank about 15 out of the 25. So again, indicating that there is this inclusion gap for us to really address and focus. Wow. At 15 is not a great number. So lots of work to be done, clearly. Are there differences based on geographies? Yes, there are. We can actually see that eight of the 10 markets we examined in 2018 have dropped in their inclusion score. So when we're looking at their score from 2018, for instance, in Canada, they were at 66% with the inclusion score. And then in 2022, they dropped to 57. And some other big markets as well, like the US see similar patterns. They were at 66 and they dropped to 56% as well. And then you also have markets such as Mexico, which, you know, has some challenges around certain areas of DEI. There are some challenges there culturally. And in 2018, they were at 43%. And in 2022, they've risen to 58%. So you've got some markets that are showing some real growth as well. And then others where there is a bit of a lag. In the UK, there's been no shift. So we were at 56% in 2018 and we're at 56% in 2022. Oh my, that's astonishing. So does that number on UK indicate a distinct lack of progress or that those who've been working on this for some time have stalled and then others have caught up to that number? No, I think all the markets, they have their nuances and they have different tensions. So the events or the issues that are affecting, for instance, Mexico or the US are going to be very different to what's going on in the US, even with DE&I. And in the UK, it's not that DE&I is not an important topic anymore or everybody's decided to rest their laurels. It's, again, this prospect that we are anticipating that this systemic change. DEI is a topic in the UK that is more developed in other markets. So a lot of people have heard about it enough. They understand it. A lot of organizations are talking about it and being bold in the conversation. But now the gap is, okay, how do we get to that systemic change? How do we implement changes that actually drive impact when it comes to representation? Representation at C-suite and senior level. Also pay gap. How do we address that ethnicity pay gap as well? So these are all these kind of systemic and structural change that people are going to be more interested in and keen to see in the development markets where DEI has really evolved and where markets where they're at, I guess, the earliest stage of the conversation, they will see growth relating to their kind of areas. So maybe growth on gender and or growth around LGBTQ plus the conversation in that area picking up. So I wouldn't look at the markets like for like just because they are all nuanced and they are very, very different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving on, how important are considerations on cultural sensitivities when designing solutions? You just spoke about the differences based on geographies. In some places, you know, certain things are illegal and some of the protected characteristics are not protected 
characteristics in regions or in countries. How important are these cultural sensitivities? You know, we work in a world where organizations are global and there's more work from home and people are operating from across the world. So they need to understand the sensitivities when either you're trying to get in a policy that is top down or run a program. Yeah, I think it's so important understanding these marketing sensitivities because, again, when you are trying to collect data and you're trying to understand your workforce, you don't want to put them in danger. So questions around sexuality in certain markets, that it's a crime. You don't want to explore that or even kind of endanger or put your employees at risk by looking into that. And then there are also those cultural influences that will impact where It can be accepted. It can be a legal question to ask, but culturally it's frowned upon so nobody will share. And I think it's something that when you are looking at different markets, you have to consider and you have to make sure that you've got your eye or your finger on the pulse on that. When you are looking at DE&I and you're looking at it in different markets, I think it's so important to allow those local markets to have their voices and to make sure that you are talking about their nuances. Because what happens sometimes is when we're focused on the bigger markets or maybe the Western markets, that sometimes washes out all the different nuances and all the uniqueness in other markets when we're looking at TEI. And it's so important that those are highlighted to make sure that strategies or action plans are relevant to the market. So Anywhere possible, I always think that it's important to look at that and to consider those nuances and those sensitivities. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Why do you think organizations are struggling with inclusion and what do you think is missing? I think the big struggle with inclusion is the fact that it is difficult to measure or organizations, the United Leads, haven't got into a system of measuring it in a very systematic way. So we're all comfortable with diversity numbers and it's easy to build representation targets around that. But actually, when it comes to inclusion, if we're not measuring it, then we have no way of actually tracking and seeing whether there is any progress being made in that space. And again, inclusion is super important because that has a bigger impact on diversity as well. If you are an organization and you're able to attract diverse talents very easily, you're able to get your ads on different diverse boards and attract diverse talent. That's great. But then what happens? How are you retaining them? What happens when, you know, they're on board? Are they all stuck at junior level or do you have a career development that allows them to progress? And that stuff is all around inclusion. And for organizations to really understand that or even get a sense of their recruitment ROI when it comes to diversity and inclusion, they need to focus on that inclusion piece. And I feel like That's where the struggle is, is that they're not drilling down deep enough into inclusion. And this means going beyond three questions in an engagement survey. You really need to explore the topic into depth and look at the employee experience. Abhi, do you have something to add to this? Yeah, I guess just to qualify what uh, Nadash is saying, over the past few months, we've been listening in or attending some of the inclusion conferences and events which have been happening around the country. And while the title of the event is Inclusion, a lot of conversation or topics are connected just to diversity. So we've heard speakers from different organizations or companies who are DNI leaders, but they speak only about diversity and making sure diversity targets are met. So those metrics are constantly in play. 
but there's not much kind of conversation around inclusion. So that kind of leads me to say, or maybe I'm just being bold saying, all the money which is being budgeted for DNI, a lot of it or most of it is going into diversity and not so much in inclusion. So one of the things we felt is in terms of what some of these leaders need to do is realize that diversity is actually an outcome of inclusion. So there has to be some focus in inclusion for them to be seen as diverse and therefore attract that kind of talent as well. So it's kind of a sequence as it happens. There is a cause and effect. And that's effectively what we're trying to progress with. And Natash, what, according to you, are the biggest drivers for inclusion and belonging in an organization? I mean, Abhi's just mentioned that people are focusing or spending all their money on the diversity bit, but forgetting about the equity and inclusion. Yeah, I think the biggest driver of inclusion or to help organizations kind of get to that inclusion space is it begins with the data. And I know it's not a sexy, fun topic to talk about, but you've got to actually understand what's going on within your organization. You've got to identify your low-hanging fruits from an inclusive stance. And once you have a grip of that, that is what's going to help you build an action plan that gets you to an inclusion place that gets you to a state of belonging. And then when it comes to engaging with your change agents and your DEI champions and the people on the ground, it's good to be transparent and to talk with your people and to let them know about the journey that the business is on, not just as a kind of a moral thing to do, but actually as a business thing. This is good business. And you want to have these transparent and open conversations with your people to let them know exactly what's going on. I feel sometimes, my experience anyways, has been that when it comes to DE&I, organizations only want to talk about the good things. When we're doing something good, let's talk about it. When things are not great, let's kind of be quiet and hide it or put it underneath the rug. And that's not good. I think employees don't expect perfection and they know that things are going to be difficult. They experience it. But what is meaningful is if organizations are able to actually address those issues and be quite frank and say, look, this is where we are and we know it's not good enough. We want you to be a part of this journey so that we can get to where it is good, where we are doing really great in this space. And then for organizations to have their senior stakeholders and C-suites and the leads to really own that journey and be accountable. But again, to get to that place, you need that data. You really need that data to empower you and to help you tell better stories and stories that actually drive action. Abhi, do you have any inputs on this? Yeah, I guess when it comes to key drivers or what the drivers for inclusion, I think it's all about behavior. And to a large extent, you know, we're talking here about behavior change to some extent, especially for people within the organization when they have new talent coming in or new people coming in. You know, what's the consciousness there in terms of welcoming them, making them part of the team, making them part of the culture? And those are the inclusion or inclusive activations which some of the leaders need to be talking about. But again, coming back to the element of evidence and yeah, Nadash was talking about data and we can probably take data to the next level and, you know, call it evidence of what's really happening within the organization from an inclusion perspective and show that as a good use case in case those people need to secure more budgets or take it up to management saying, this is how we can be successful by putting a little more focus and attention on inclusion and then therefore making themselves more diverse. Yeah. I think what Natash mentioned that when organizations are not getting something right, they are very still and very quiet. 
And there may be some sense in being vulnerable internally and externally and admitting that you've not got it right, but you have the ambition and the intent to get it right. I don't think employees or people generally expect everyone to be perfect. Not sure if that's the right thing to say. Yes, Sita, I, I think you're absolutely right. Employees don't expect perfection and they can see it as well. It comes across a bit disingenuous if you completely hide and say, look, we're perfect. We've done this great. But actually, there's all this other junk and ick that's in the background that we would love you to address, to at least acknowledge that it's happening and we're working to make things better. But having these types of proactive, difficult conversations when it comes to DNI is so important for that growth, especially when you are engaging with all these different protected characteristics. Sometimes organizations have DEI initiatives and they feel super excited about them. But when you're looking at how they are engaging with minority groups, there is a massive gap. So you've got this DNI initiative, you know, you think that it's going to land well with minority groups and they turn around and say, actually, it didn't speak to me. It did not address my concern. And that requires having those difficult conversations and listening as well to what employees are saying. Yeah, I agree. Nadash, if you had a magic wand to get the industry to take action, businesses to take action. What are the three things you would prioritize on? I think, Sula, you're going to be able to predict my answer. And that is, <laughs> that is listen, data, and data. And I know I work very closely with data, but there is so much truth in that. If you have that data and you're really able to get an objective view of what's going on, you're able to take action and take the right type of action. And you also want to listen as well to your employees and stay connected to what's going on on the ground. You don't want to be disconnected. But again, you need that data. Promise and the power of data really gets you to that place where you can have stronger conversations and you can go to senior stakeholders with a more compelling story in terms of what needs to be done and what needs to be done now. In my experience, when I was speaking to senior stakeholders and C-suites and we were talking about budget, um, whenever I spoke about DNI just as a, you know, this is what's going on, they would say, okay, right, that's bad. But it, I wouldn't be able to strike the urgency. But when I came back in with some data and some very, very difficult numbers, the conversation really changed and they were more in the action zone. So I encourage clients, DEI leads, practitioners and organizations to really look at their data and to focus on building that, but also listening to their employees as well. Yeah, I think listening and data are like huge priorities. Abhi, you have any thoughts on this? Well, not too far from what Nadash is saying. Very honestly, the magic wand would be measure, measure and measure. And the thing is measure, but there's say three measures. It's on the three pillars of EDNI. So measure them equally. So don't focus too much on one because all three pillars lead to success. And it's not just a single one which does that. Oh, very interesting. I think that's very valuable. What's next, Nadash? I think for us, what's next is that we're planning to 
run the inclusion index again in 2023 to be able to measure, as Abby said, the progress and to track and to keep our finger on the pulse of the conversation. We'll also be really interested in looking and exploring the return of investment on DEI. I think that is an element that is missing in the conversation. So yes, we want to talk about attracting talent and we want to talk about why it's good to be diverse and inclusive. But we also want to highlight that return of investment and bring this to the center of the conversation to elevate it and to really dial up the urgency of the whole purpose. So these are things that we're hoping to explore and do next year. In the immediate future, we have our webinar coming up where we are going to be exploring the inclusion index benchmark in greater depth and giving it a market view as well. And yeah, we'll also be doing other thought leadership pieces and doing some other bigger work in inclusion too. I found the thing on the ROI, the return on investment piece. That's something that I believe Kanta would be responding to a market need and need for businesses to see a return on investment on how their money is playing out. But seems like a really difficult ask. Abhi, what are your thoughts? What's next? Yeah, for us, I think between Adash and myself, what we're thinking is, apart from all the practical and tangible things which uh, we're going in with, with our inclusion index, is just propagating this message about inclusion and moving it forward, saying, what should the focus be as things go forward because a fair amount of money, a fair amount of budget is being utilized and being spent. So we just want to make sure that it's used effectively and therefore looking to move the needle on these metrics. How best is evidence and data placed to do that? And just helping these companies achieve some of their objectives, especially as they're reporting into the board or reporting into the senior management people or even to the shareholders and just showing them what's in it for them from an ROI perspective. And if it can impact their bottom lines, it can impact the share price, or any of these places. Yeah. yeah, this has been such an amazing conversation. And from Kantar's point of view, this is not just a one-off tactical report that has come out. You're going to be progressing this and taking this forward and then progressing the conversations on inclusion. So amazing. Well done, Natash, and well done, Nabi. And I look forward to engaging more on this and hearing more stories and hearing more about insights on the report. So we'll keep tuned in and thank you so much for being here today to share your experience and your thoughts on the Kantar Inclusion Index. Yeah, thank you so much, Sita, for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sita. Thanks for this conversation. It was really lovely having this chat. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.